Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. The Boy Scouts of America organization have been using their interpretations of Native American culture for more than a century. Their appropriations include feather headdresses, regalia, dancing, singing, and drumming, and words in certain Native languages. Now Boy Scout leaders are asking their membership whether they want to keep those elements in the scouting culture. We'll get an update on Boy Scouts Native American appropriation right after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas from KMBA in Anchorage, Alaska, filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. The National Tribal Health Conference got underway Tuesday in Anchorage. About 1,200 tribal health advocates from across the country are meeting to deal with almost every facet of Indian health care, from operating clinics to serving veterans, fighting diabetes, as well as looking at the impact of climate change on health. The Alaska Native Health Board is working with the National Indian Health Board to host this year's gathering. Alberta Unock is head of ANHB and says this year's theme is Culture Heals, Culture Knows, Culture Leads. Prior to health being provided by public health or the Indian Health Service or the federal government, traditional health was a key component of our communities. We utilize traditional healers, traditional plants. Unock is Yupik, originally from Kotlik, a community in the lower Yukon River in southwest Alaska. She says the conference draws members from 12 regional health boards around the nation. The National Indian Health Board brings together great minds in one place that fuel creative energy, collective action. We talk about health innovation to elevate the health of all American Indian and Alaska Native people. The first day of the conference wrapped up with a culture night showcasing Alaska's indigenous peoples. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt, a citizen of the Cherokee Nation, vetoed a bill last week that would have allowed students to wear tribal regalia at school functions. Native News Online reports that Senate Bill 429 passed the Oklahoma legislature last week, 90 to 1, and would have ensured Native students in all schools are allowed to wear tribal regalia at high school graduations and other ceremonies throughout the state. Stitt justified his decision saying if the bill becomes a law, it would open additional efforts by other groups to push their agendas. According to the Oklahoma State Department of Education, in 2020, there were approximately 156,000 American Indian students who were enrolled in at least one of the 39 tribal nations of Oklahoma. Tribal leaders and a California state lawmaker shared concerns at a hearing and news briefing Tuesday in Sacramento about missing and murdered indigenous people. Despite new resources, California has two tribes so disturbed by violence, they declared a state of emergency. Native American Assemblymember James Ramos discussed the need for the state to take immediate action. We are here today to spotlight the crisis in Indian country, which has led two tribes, the Yurok and the Round Valley tribes, to declare states of emergency here in the state of California. The crisis is growing, and sadly, we're going backwards in the state of California in reducing the violence towards our people. Vice Chairman Raquel Williams of the Wilton Rancheria tribe said that while there is still so much to be done, a lot has also been accomplished. Incredible progress has made in such a short amount of time. And we've brought so much awareness to this. From additional budget allocations to the newly enacted Feather Alert, 
I'm confident and optimistic. The Feather Alert, co-authored by Assemblyman Ramos, acts like an Amber Alert, providing law enforcement with resources they need to provide the public with information to help recover missing and murdered Indigenous people. Many of the people who spoke during the press conference expressed the need for Assembly Bill 44, a bill to allow tribal officers to have access to information state law enforcement receives. The press conference was the start to a week-long event, shedding light on missing and murdered Indigenous people, including candlelight vigils and flower dropping. I'm Jill Freitas. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. The Indian Arts and Crafts Board promotes Indian artists of federally recognized tribes through its online source directory. Information on this no-charge opportunity available at doi.gov IACB, who support this program. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. The Boy Scouts of America Honor Society is called the Tribe of Mikose. It relies on what the organization says are ceremonies, customs, and traditions based on the folklore of American Indians. In La Junta, Colorado, a Boy Scout troop puts on performances of what they call Koshari dancers, which draw heavily from Tewa and Hopi dances. Those are just a couple of examples of how the Boy Scouts have incorporated their interpretation of Native culture for about a century. But that may be changing. We'll review some of the Boy Scouts' practices over the years with our guest today. We also want to hear from you. Have you ever seen Boy Scouts perform Native dances or their version of powwows? Are you a former Boy Scout? Join our conversation at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can also post on our social media pages. Search for Native America Calling on Facebook or Instagram. Speaking with us first from Norman, Oklahoma, is Graham Lee Brewer. He's an investigative reporter for NBC News, and he is a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. Graham, welcome back to Native America Calling. Thanks so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. You bet, Graham. Now, you recently wrote about the Boy Scouts who are now questioning these longstanding practices of Native cultural appropriation. What's their approach, and do you think they'll make some changes? Well, it's hard to say. Uh, I mean, in the statement that they provided me for the story, I think they were pretty clear that there really is no plans to change any of the, you know, usage of uh, depictions of Native people and their programming, uh, the naming of their camps, um, things like that. Um, I was really, in the story, I was really hoping to get at what the significance of the survey was. Um, one thing that they, they told me in their statement was that, you know, these, 
kinds of surveys are routine for them. It had been a couple of years since they've asked their members uh, about Native American traditions uh, and cultures or, or their you know, use of those things uh, in programming. Um, but uh, they, they said that it is something that they did routinely ask. And um, I, was, I was really hoping to try to understand like whether or not they've asked their members directly if they should eliminate these things because that really was a big focal point of the survey. It wasn't just one question. It was multiple questions, multiple of options uh, for answers, whether the, the use of names in camps and, um, you know, for scoutmasters should be eliminated, the use of, uh, you know, traditional regalia, um, ceremonies, um, all, all sorts of things, imagery. And so I, I really wanted to know if the, that specifically was something that they had asked their members before. I, I wasn't able to get a clear answer on that, so it's hard to say whether or not this survey really signals that something could change. Mm -hmm. um, but like I said, they they were very clear in their statement that there are no plans to change anything uh, currently. Graham, we were chatting a little bit before the show, and, and you mentioned how we hear so much about the mascot issue with high schools and colleges and professional teams. With this Boy Scout uh, appropriation, the, the outfits, the dances, much of it has flown under the radar for it appears to be like almost a hundred years. I mean, what do you know about how the Boy Scouts, excuse me, the Boy Scouts first started using native dances, wearing headdresses, other cultural references? So yeah, I, I was a little surprised to see just uh, how little this was kind of scrutinized, I guess, for lack of a better term. But um, this really kind of started with um, the, the way you're seeing it today with the Order of the Arrow, which is the honor society within Boy Scouts. It's um, you know, the scouts self or nominate their peers to this, you know, group who exemplify best the, um, you know, the, the scouting life and traditions. And that started in 1915. Uh, it does predate that a little bit. There, there was another camp, one of the very first Boy Scout camps in the Northeast um, that where uh, some of the scouts were, you know, encouraged to wear loincloths and they made headdresses of turkey feathers and gave each other Indian names. Um, th that was a heavy influence on on the Order of the Arrows uh, introduction of the of, of those kind of themes, like I said in 1915. Um, but I, I was really also kind of surprised at just how little that has changed over a hundred plus years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a, a lot of the um, I, I think what's kind of important to remember about the Boy Scouts is that this is an organization that is largely um, uh, made up of volunteers, right? And so. The national, the, the national organization itself can say one thing, but what happens at these individual local chapters all across the country, you mentioned Mikasei, that's a really great example, um, it, it can really differ depending on where you're at. And so um, I just found it very fascinating that um, the, the way that, it's the way that it, it has been used in the Boy Scout program really hasn't changed a whole lot. I mean, you can you look at in the story we used a photo from 2016, which I, I believe was an Order of the Arrow ceremony in Idaho, and, um, and you see there's these three scouts that are standing around a fire. They're being inducted into the order, and they're wearing you know like brown pants that I think are meant to look like buckskin, and these large yeah. you know. <laughs> I saw the picture. <laughs> yes, and so it's, a, it's this very like pan Indian kind of stereotyped. It, to me, it looked like what you would see like a a kid in the 1950s wearing on Halloween that was Absolutely. trying to play Indian. Absolutely, and, and, yeah. And yeah, that was just from a few years ago. And so, and it was only in the late 90s when they stopped, they started prohibiting scouts from, you know, wearing red face. And, and so, um, 
yeah, so I, I just found it kind of like it's fascinating that it not only had it really not gotten the same kind of attention that the mascot issue does, and there's some obvious parallels there, um, but really it hasn't changed much at all in that last hundred years. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting, like you mentioned, some of these ceremonies and these practices are, are at these camps that the Boy Scouts host, and they're kind of in private. And then in other examples, they actually go out and perform to large groups, to audiences, and they get paid for this stuff. Yes, I mean, yeah, I think you're seeing like kind of two different examples of how these things manifest within the BSA program. So one is what we were just talking about, these like very heavily stereotyped images, uh, they're very pan-Indian um, and um, not specific in any real way. And then you have these other ones that are very hyper-specific. You know, one of the things that they said to me in their statement was strive to be as authentic as possible. And you do see that reflected in some of this programming. I mean, there is some regalia that is very directly uh, taken from certain tribes, their dances. Uh, some of these scouts dance in this regalia in competitions. Um, the Mikasayer won. And so, um, it, it, and then, you know, if you look in the Order of the Arrow, for instance, a lot of their terminology comes directly from the Lenape language. It's just still spoken today by the Delaware tribe of Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that. A, a lot of those words, the Lenape language dictionary, in fact, was part of the Order of the Arrows handbook until very recently. Um, and so I think while obviously the issue of, of stereotyping Native people is its own concern, there's this whole other concern about getting it authentic, uh, too, because, you know, while you might be able to find one Native person who can say to you, yes, I think this is okay, I've seen no evidence of any Native uh, communities or tribal nations that have given permission for these ceremonies uh, okay. to be replicated in, in Boy Scouts. All righty. Well, you mentioned the Lenape culture, and uh, we actually have a guest who can talk about that specifically. Joining us now from Bartlesville, Oklahoma, is Brad Killscrow. He is the chief of the Delaware Tribe of Indians. Chief Killscrow, welcome. Hey, welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, Chief. And uh, please tell us more about the connection between the, the excuse me the Lenape culture of your Delaware tribe and, and what these Boy Scouts are doing. You know, it, it's funny uh, that that uh, you guys reached out to, to talk about this subject. You know, I wanted to tell a brief story when I was a little boy here in Oklahoma. Uh, me and my brother we used to go dance a lot of powwows here in the state in the, in the early '80s, and when we would travel, uh, the first time I came across this, this group of uh, you know, we were young boys, probably, you know, 10, 11 years old, and we come across a powwow. There's this group of Boy Scouts that showed up uh, and and started with their costumes, and um, we were confused. We were like, you know, what what is what is going on, and well, why why are they here? Why they, you know, what we just, we were just didn't know what was going on, and then later on down the, the evening, they ended up dancing at the powwow, and uh, um, I've never felt like, you know, uh, I felt a sense of like, you know, what are they doing? They're trying, are they trying to, you know, uh, be us or they, well, I just never, I didn't get that as a young boy. I, I was very confused as to when I witnessed that uh, Boy Scouts coming into that arena. Uh, it was very uh, uh, confusing time uh, as a, as a self-identifying as myself as a Lenape uh, man. Um, now I have these white kids out here my same age dressing up like me and hooting and hollering around and, uh, acting, uh, you know, uh, dancing some kind of ways. Uh, it definitely was concerning, you know, it was an eye opener for me and my brother at a very young age. And uh, that, that that's always uh, stayed with me. 
and it's never never gone back. But as far as the uh, the, the some of the uh, the, the Lampi language, I know they have the Order of the Arrow. Uh, I'm aware of that. I know they do have some Lampi language involved in there, and some customs and some things that they've uh, kind of uh, took upon themselves uh, to uh, uh, make their own. And that that's kind of the issue that we have uh, moving forward. You know, in the future is. Uh, a lot of these organizations, such as the Boy Scouts, they have taken these uh, um, – they kind of pick and choose. Uh, all, the, all of the order and arrow is not Lenape because, I mean, you see they have headdresses. That, that's not Lenape. Uh, that, that's the Plains tribes. But, you know, they pick and choose what they want out of uh, uh, different tribes, uh, their cultural, and make it their own. And that, that's where we have a problem and issues once they make that – uh, they have that sense of entitlement. You know, we've been doing this for 100 years. You know, we've, we've done this. And you go back to the, the beginning of the Boy Scouts in the 1900s when they were first uh, forming and they first formed this uh, Order of the Arrow. You know, you look at the Native American people. Um, it was uh, it was it was uh, it was tough. You know, we were, we were uh, they adopted the Boy Scouts adopted those practices in a time when it was illegal for us in our native communities to even participate in our own ceremonies. And, you know, we couldn't do that until 1978 under the Freedom of Religious Act. And you got the Boy Scouts out there under the protection of the U.S. government, you know, uh, make mocking or whatever they want to do with our culture. And it's uh, here we are. We can't legally we can't legally do it in the United States until 1978. So it's kind of, you know, uh, just something eye opening uh, statement. I just kind of want to say so. Yeah, Chief, uh, and that really, really helps put this in perspective, that your own people couldn't do these dances, but the Boy Scouts could, which is just bizarre, beyond the pale. Anyway, we're going to have to take a short break. More with Chief Brad Killscrow when we come back. Digital media is king when it comes to news and information. But there's still value in leafing through the glossy pages of a magazine to connect with photos and stories. We'll talk about the evolution of Native magazines and the audiences they reach on the next Native America Calling. the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're discussing the Boy Scouts' decades-long appropriation of Native culture today. If you have a comment or question about the Boy Scouts and cultural appropriation, please join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. One of our guests is on the line in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, Chief Brad Killscrow of the Delaware Tribe of Indians. And uh, Chief Killscrow, before break, you were talking about how uh, these Boy Scouts are kind of picking and choosing, right? And that's really kind of the, the story of how a lot of this stereotyping works. Like these groups will come along and they'll pick certain elements of Native culture from this tribe and something from that tribe. And whatever kind of sticks, whatever kind of sells, that's the whole approach. And that's how they kind of package it all together. And uh, we're learning about the Boy Scouts and, and how some of these dances they perform, they're actually getting paid to do that. They get compensated. 
And uh, I want to ask you, though, the Delaware uh, Tribe of Indians, have you folks reached out to the Boy Scouts formerly and, and, um, and confronted them about their use of, of your language and some of your cultural elements? You know, they, they, the Boy Scouts have been in, in contact with us uh, a few times uh, asking, you know, if, if, if what they were doing, their dances was appropriate. Uh, and several times, you know, we, we, we told them, no, it, it has not been, it's not appropriate. And, and, but, you know, it just goes falling on deaf ears. Uh, like I said earlier, uh, they, they've been doing it for so much long. They, they have a sense of entitlement, ownership. They believe that this is theirs, their order of the arrow, that did uh, not to take it from them. They have that kind of mentality. And, um, it, and that's, you know, and that broadens the picture up to, you know, even more to the modern day mascots and those types of things. Uh, that we're facing on a daily basis um so it's just uh you know it's a difficult it's a difficult situation um you know we don't we don't have any any uh, ill to the to the children of the boy scouts it's not them mm -hmm. they're the ones learning but it's, it's the adults it's the uh the scout masters those guys who need to really come together and, and really think about uh what they're doing and uh right. you know cultural identity to our, our native kids you know uh, suicide is a huge thing uh, within our native communities and identity self-identity trying to fit into this world and and is it, like i said talking that story about when i was a young boy it's hard to understand why would some white you know some white kids dress up as natives and pretend to be my brother at this powwow in dance it just it, it just makes you really think about who you are and, and, and what you are and so i think it brings a lot of harm and uh it brings a lot of uh uh questions to our youth uh to our tribal youth out there wanting to uh you know as far as the uh, uh, as the uh, uh, suicide is, is concerned, uh, I think that plays a, plays a role into our cultural identity. Chief, any idea where the Boy Scouts learned uh, these Delaware or Lenape words and some of these practices as well? Uh, unfortunately, no. Uh, you know, it's one thing that was always brought to our attention. We have no idea how that relationship we don't have anything we don't have an mou we don't have any type of agreement with the boy scouts uh how they came about it um we, we don't we, we we have no idea uh we were just kind of looped in that hey they're they're you know they're using lenape uh, words and languages and ceremonies and things and um like i said we were never uh as far as i know you know i've asked uh, a lot of our uh, elders here you know about this situation and nobody can really say that we've been consulted on this at all. So, again, going back to picking and choosing, they must have saw something here and there, just picked it, and they're taking it as their own. Let's go to the phones now. We have Chanupa, who's up in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, listening on Keeley, of course. Chanupa, hello. Hello. Thank you for having me on, Sean. In reference to the Boy Scouts, uh, my younger brother, uh, Jonathan Leonard Martin, used to be a Scoutmaster in his days back in the you know early part of the uh, 70s and late 60s. But one thing my brother John did was uh, he did more of our traditional stuff with the Native communities of the people that participated. And one, one of them little bad looking that go under uniform. But my little brother had one thing to offer to the Boy Scouts in South Dakota. What he told them was that if you ever want participation of our own existence, my brother John said, the agreement has to come from us rather than your people. And so John got awarded with this, and they were right. They were, and to this day, 
I, as an adult, um, I'm 65 years old, I support these scoutmasters that have native participation in it because of my late brother. And I wanted to contribute this understanding in honor of my brother, John, because John would perform singing and dancing with these native kids with other, you know, scout people in the, the club, of the Boy Scouts and the Cub Scouts, all okay. of that good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Chanupa. Appreciate you sharing that information about uh, your brother serving as a Boy Scout master. And obviously here, if a native person is involved in the Scouts and, and, and they want to do some uh, some cultural elements and include that as part of their activities in the Boy Scouts, uh, I want to ask Chief Killsgrove, do you have a problem with that, with native folks who participate in Boy Scouts and want to do that? Absolutely not. I think that's the best uh, approach is, is, is for the Boy Scouts to uh, collaborate with a, a tribal citizen, a tribal, uh, uh, a tribe within itself or whatnot to actually talk to the people and, and get their okay and get their guidance on their local tribes and their communities on how they should move forward. Um, they shouldn't be able just to pick and choose and, and then just wear headdresses and, and, and skip around and, 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 and act like that. I think the education is a key component uh, to this. I think we've gotten away from that as a society. And I think that, uh, uh, as long as, uh, as, as those uh, Boy Scouts and their communities can reach out to the local tribes and, and ask, you know, hey, what, what, what is appropriate? And what is honoring you? And what is, how can we educate our, our uh, little uh, scout uh, group on your tribe? And, and I think they would get a lot more, a better sense, uh, like the gentleman that just called in, you know, about his brother's scoutmaster from an individual to show these kids actually how to do things, how to, how, you know, how natives actually interpret how we how we are today i think that's a big key and a a bigger yes and along that line chief any thought about reaching out to the boy scouts uh you as a delaware tribe of indians just saying hey look if you want to do this stuff let us help you let us show you how to do it absolutely absolutely we just we just had an incident with uh the anderson uh indiana they they, uh anderson chief anderson was a lenape chief and real quickly uh long story short uh, they were uh, they had a mascot up there with the chief with a headdress and they were doing some hokey pokey dances during their basketball games. We were able to go in there, sit down with the principal, come up with a curriculum that they implemented in their fourth grade class about the Lenape. Now they're up there teaching fourth graders in uh, Anderson, Indiana, our language, our customs, our cultural, and we made a, a negative situation we turned into a positive. Okay. But it was a, it was an open dialogue, and they responded to your request. Unlike what it sounds like, the Boy Scouts who are just like, "Nope, we're, we're going to do it our way," from the way it sounds. Yep. So, well, Chief uh, Killscrow, I know your time is limited, and I really want to thank you for joining us today and contributing to our discussion. Thank you again. Hey, thank you, Wanishi. Have a great day. You too. Our next guest is speaking with us from the Hopi Reservation in Arizona, Stuart Koyiyamtewa. He is the Tribal Historic Preservation Officer for the Hopi Tribe. Stuart, welcome to the show. Um, thank you for inviting me to your show. Well, Stuart, it's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on today. And please, let's talk about this issue here. Are you aware of the Boy Scouts using Hopi dances and imagery? Yes. Yes, I am. Um, and unfortunately... Um, this is uh, one of several um, issues that the Hopi tribe had to has had to deal with um, uh, 
and I mention that because uh, the Hopi tribe was actually successful in uh, stopping another group. Um, they called, uh, they referred to themselves as the Smokai people, which was based out of Prescott, Arizona. And uh, if my memory serves correct, I, I think they started in the 1920s. And in 1990, the Hopi tribe was able to stop the Smokai people from uh, doing numerous uh, Hopi dances and other uh, Native tribes dances to to raise uh, funding for their 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 town and the annual rodeo that they used to put on uh, they still do in Prescott. So uh, the the Smokai people were um, known for um, doing the their version of the their snake dance and. Um, you know, it was quite disturbing to see that, and uh, you know, and I'm glad that uh, the leadership at the time were able to uh, stop, you know, um, them from uh, performing these dances. And the way they did, you know, um, stop them is that they uh, got the the permits um, from the city of Flagstaff, and um, you know, they they uh, told the city that they were going to do a protest. Uh, in front of the gates of the the show, um, and they did the, uh, they did that for two years. Uh, the first year in '89, I believe, um, you know, uh, yeah, they did conduct the show, and um, uh, you know, the protesters were out there with their signs and uh, greeting people as they walked in, and. Uh, 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 at that time, the the outcome of that protest, we weren't were really aware of the impact it did. But uh, from what I recall, is that the city of Prescott called uh, the leadership here at the Hopi tribe at the time, and they were, um, you know, I guess uh, concerned about the the amount of money or less money that they were unable to raise. And um, they wanted to work with uh, the Hopi tribe to see if they could compromise and let the Smokai continue to do the snake dance. And uh, the leadership at the time refused to to um, let them proceed. And they told the city that next year, you know, when you're going to do the dance again, we're going to be right there protesting. And, and uh, yeah, they had the dance. Um, and uh, that was the final time that they had that dance because of the impact and 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 the negativity to the city uh, okay. that they just simply didn't um, go on with with that. So yeah, okay. I'm, I am. A, I'm, yeah. Okay, it's true. I'm sorry. Just a quick question here: These smoke-eyed people. Who were these? Was this an organization? Was it a youth group? Tell us more about them and their motivation. <clears throat> They were a group of businessmen in in Prescott. So these uh, men owned uh, shops within the the city, you know, stores and the like. They were part of the city council. Um, okay. You know, city. They were just a group of of men, um, and their uh, reason for conducting these uh, ceremonies um, or dances. I don't want to say ceremony, um, was was because. Um, of the fear of native populations, um, you know, dying out, becoming extinct. And they were saying that they were doing their part to preserve yeah. the <laughs> native <laughs> heritage. They took it upon themselves <laughs> to 
to uh, enact these dances uh, and on behalf of tribes, and that was their excuse. And so it, it was kind of funny. And you can see these dances online too. If you just Google them, um, they're pretty hilarious. If you want to have a good laugh, you know. But okay. you know, okay. they they truly believed that they were doing something right at the time. That seems to be so often the angle, though, right? Hey, we're doing this out of tribute. We're doing this to honor and celebrate Native culture, and uh, it just they just don't get it. So, But, Stuart, at any rate, uh, going back to the Boy Scouts, has the Hopi tribe had a dialogue with the Boy Scouts about these dances that they're doing? Uh, not necessarily a dialogue, um, and I've never seen uh, uh, the Boy Scouts perform the Koyala dance. That's the... Uh, what I think you referred to as Koshori in your introduction. I hope we call them Koyala. And they were introduced uh, by the Tano and um, people that migrated to Hopi uh, during the, the Pueblo Revolt. So uh, it's actually a Tano and uh, custom Koyala. Uh, but we found through uh, people, you know, through social media, um, reporting back to the Hopi tribe um, that there's this group of Boy Scouts performing these dances and and actually getting paid for as was in your discussion um, and we wrote them a letter um, and uh, asking them to cease uh, doing that dance and we've really never heard back from them up up to this date so um, but I I, I believe um, you know these are young men who are part of these. Um, organizations such as the Boy Scouts, but I really believe that it is up to the the organization and, and the, the, the management who are instilling these practices among these young men. You know, they, they have no right. clue. Right. You know, right. so it's not, not, the, not the, the, the student's fault or the, the child's fault that they're asked to perform. You know, if, 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 I believe if something is to change, I, I really believe that the Boy Scouts and tribes should reach out and, and, and sit at the table and, and discuss these things and how uh, hurtful um, these performances are, you know, to, to the people that they're trying to re- represent. You know, they, they I, I, I agree with uh, Chief uh, Kills Crow is that they're essentially just mocking us and, um, when when you see that kind of activity, when you know that the people who perform these um, dances put their all effort in, uh, they sacrifice their body, um, they go fast, and to perform these things um, on, for the benefit of all people, it's not just something, it's just not a, a dance or a show that they put on, it's actually for a reason, and you know, if we can just sit down with this group and even the the, the boys, you know, um, to just explain why this is offensive to tribes, I think that would go in a long way, you know. But right now, it's, it's top level down, you know. It's the organization asking okay. the, the students to, to participate. So, And you never know, you know, you may reach one person, one student in, in the group, that is going to truly take it to heart and try to make those changes within themselves to try to um, stop these from happening. So it, okay. it, it works both ways. Yeah. It, it does, Stuart. And what I find so intriguing about these Hopi dances is I, I know how protective your people are over your culture, over your ceremonies. Many of the, the doings that you folks have are closed to outsiders. 
So the fact that uh, these Boy Scouts could learn some of these intimate practices, and even like you mentioned the pictures and, you know, some of the, I don't know if I should call it regalia or an outfit or a costume or what, but, you know, because when it's not a Native person wearing it, right, it's it's not really regalia anymore. It's not really an outfit. We can kind of go in the, the realm of it being a costume, but some of it's pretty accurate. You know, some of they, they've got a lot of information, and I'm, I'm curious as to where they would have gotten it. So we're going to ask uh, Stuart that after we come back from this next break, but we do have to take a break now. And anybody listening today who has a question, has a comment, or, you know, what, what is your thought on this? Uh, Boy Scouts uh, dressing up as Native people. Maybe you're cool with it. I don't know. But at any rate, let us know. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That is our number. Once again, 1-800-996-2848. Let us know what you think, what your thoughts are. We really want to get more callers involved in our show today. We'll be right back. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Support for the menu comes from Spirit Mountain Roasting Company, a small batch specialty coffee roaster located on the Fort Yuma Quetzon Reservation. Information and online ordering at SpiritMountainRoasting.com news. This is Native America Calling. Still time to join our conversation today about the Boy Scouts of America and a history of cultural appropriation. What do you think about that? Boy Scouts dressing up, performing dances and ceremonies, which they say are a tribute to Native people, and in some cases they're getting paid to do it. The number to share your thoughts on air is 1-800-996-2848, or you can post your thoughts on our social media pages, but come on. Talking on the radio is a lot more fun, so give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. Stuart, uh, I know you are, have limited time, and so I do want to ask you just one more question before you go. Any thoughts as to where and how the Boy Scouts gained so much knowledge regarding Hopi culture? Looks like we might have lost Stuart. Apologize for that, folks. Uh, I want to go ahead and go to the phones now. We have Charlie, who is listening up in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, on Keeley. Hello, Charlie. Hello. Well, I have a comment about the Boy Scouts doing and uh, doing the Native American culture back before 1978, before freedom of religion. Act was passed. Before that, you know, there was a lot of, we didn't have a lot of powwows. There was just small powwows here and there, but not a great, a lot. But after 1978, when the freedom of religion was passed, we started, we started to see a flourish. We started to see powwows and activities, Native American activities, pop up all around the United States. Now, a guy back in the 1930s, 1940s, by the name of Ben Hunt, produced literature. And the Boy Scouts of America, as they were coming along, up to the time, they had acquired and adopted Ben Hunt's uh, magazine to learn how to be, learn how to 
make head roaches, learn how to make bustles, all of these things from Ben Hunt. And today, we still use those designs. Every Native American, every Native American and Native American home still use those designs from Ben Hunt's magazine. And then we look at, we go back into history. We go back way into the past when Wild Bill or Buffalo Bill Cody started the Wild West shows way back in the late 1800s and um, well, ran well into the 1930s, 1940s, well, 1930s. And my great-grandfather was part of that, was part of the Buffalo Bill Cody show. They went to okay. England, they went to Europe, they, went, they performed all these dances. They took dances, they took dances from every Native culture, and they put those dances, they created dances, to show the rest of the world that Native Americans had a culture. They had culture. They had tradition. They had religion. They had all of this, that they were human beings. And so okay, the Charlie, 19th- thank you so much. And I, I'm sorry, Charlie, but we do have uh, another guest on the show, and we've got a lot to cover. But really appreciate those comments because uh, you, you try it back to, to the wild Buffalo Bill days, uh, and yeah, there's certainly that connection. It goes way, way back, these performances and things like that. So thank you for that call, Charlie, up in South Dakota. And uh, we have Stuart Koyiptima back. Uh, He's the Hopi uh, Tribal Preservation Officer. Hello, Stuart, you're there, right? Yes, hello. Okay, Stuart, I just had one more question for you. Do you have any idea where the Boy Scouts learned all of this knowledge and information regarding your tribal culture? Yes, it's probably a couple of things. Um, one, the the intrusion of ethnographers, anthropologists who are, you know, came in forcefully and recorded a lot of these um, ceremonies, our way of life. And uh, at that time, you know, the tribe didn't have a voice to actually have some sort of protocols in place. Uh, some permits to allow them to come in and review their material. Um, but I think one of the, the main uh, causes, um, and I, I know I'm going, I'm going to um, hear back from people, is that it is our own people, you know, Hopi people, who are putting our, our dances up on social media, on YouTube. So. Okay. You know, in, in in that way, you know, they're they're disclosing a lot of things um, that should be kept private. And uh, unfortunately, the Hopi tribes don't have any codes to to prevent this from happening. So it's it's a free for all, you know, from our own people. So, and I've I've heard uh, several comments coming back from my colleagues in in other tribes where they say, you know. You Hopi people, you know, we respect you. You're you're the tribe that's still holding on to your culture, but it's kind of hard to, you know, see those ceremonies that we revere and respect of your tribe to have it been put out on social media and, and YouTube. So, and I, I get it, you know, I, I know that tribes look up to Hopi to, you know, for guidance, and yet we're the ones, you know, breaking that um, system too. So um, okay. those are my two, yep. Yeah. And, you know, Stuart, I think a lot of tribes, though, can relate to that. And, uh, you know, what you what you mentioned here really is that uh, as, as Native people, as tribal people, uh, 
on some level, uh, we have a role uh, in this situation here, uh, whether we choose to share our, our cultural heritage or not. So anybody with a thought on that with regard to, you know, Native people that put stuff up on YouTube with maybe not thinking about the consequences, 1-800-996-2848. That's the number to call. We've still got time to get another couple of calls on the line. But before we do that, let's bring in our next guest on the show. Joining us now from Onamia, Minnesota, is Robert DeCharlet. He is a writer, artist, a dancer, and a former Boy Scout. He is Red Lake Ojibwe. Robert, thank you for joining us and appreciate your patience. Uh-huh, bonjour. Bonjour, Robert. Now, you are a former Boy Scout. Uh, what can you tell us about the experience? <laughs> Well, that was a long time ago. You're talking about back in the 50s. But, uh, yeah, my dad encouraged me to join the Boy Scouts. He had been in the Boy Scouts. and uh, For him, it was a good thing because he's going to boarding school. And so Boy Scouts offered him an opportunity to get away and do some activities. But uh, for me, I joined with a bunch of neighborhood kids. And, you know, it was fun. I it, Learned a lot of you know, outdoor skills, but uh, one weekend I went to a Boy Scout camp up in northern Minnesota, and on that Saturday night they had a powwow, and uh, it didn't have any ceremony. It was like a regular powwow, and, and uh, I was a spectator, and I was really embarrassed by what I saw because, you know, I, I had grown up with powwows, and uh I knew I knew what the songs were like and what the outfits were like and and what I saw was just you know kind of a uh, bad representation of uh, of the powwow. So when I got back home from that camp, I I left. I had just dropped out of the Boy Scouts. I didn't want to be involved with you know something in which. Uh, my culture was uh, misrepresented. So you stepped away. Uh, you renounced your membership to the Boy Scouts based on that experience there with the powwow. And okay, so now click ahead. Here it is, 2023, and uh, we're still hearing about this stuff. It's still happening in different parts of the country with different tribal customs and ceremonies being appropriated. Uh, what do you think, Robert? I mean, um, what needs to happen? Well, you know, I, first of all, I was surprised that um, I was invited to the program on the basis of my article because I was written like eight years ago, and uh, so apparently the article still has still has legs. I think the article could have been written today as well as eight years ago. So the topic is still current. Um, but what I did do, I did do a little research, and uh, <laughs> I came across. Uh, Order of the Arrow, they have a new policy which they uh, created last year. It's uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And uh, I'm not going to go over this whole list, but uh, one of the things it says um, is uh, it's a point to improving access to opportunities. We will identify and remove barriers to full participation. And engagement for membership. This includes, but it's not limited to, women in scouting, members with financial needs, uh, LGBTQ scouts, 
scouts of color, scouts with special needs and special and disabilities, et cetera. Point three, increase in representation in our materials. We will better reflect people with diverse identities in our stories of leadership and in our materials, for example, printed website, social media, et cetera. And then on another page, it has resources uh, for their policy and um, okay. And who are those resources? What they cover, what, what they cover here for uh, the resources for Scouts of Color. They have Hispanic, Black, Asian American, another Scouts with Disabilities, and Women in Scouting, and LGBTQ Scouts. And what's interesting, and this is directed towards, you know, kids who are joining the Boy Scouts. And uh, but what's interesting, there's nothing about Native Americans here. Mm -hmm. Nothing yeah, at that's all. Really interesting. Like, it's it's a policy of inclusion for uh, non-white kids who are joining the Boy Scouts, but we as Native Americans are excluded. So I found that kind of odd. Yeah, it's really odd, and, and it's no secret that the Boy Scouts have faced a lot of scrutiny in recent years, and there's a lot more to it than, than just this this native angle here um, in terms of some of the other challenges they've had. And I just want to go back to, to Graham Brewer quickly. And, and Graham, uh, I mean, listening to Robert read off these, uh, these ideas that the Boy Scouts have, these new policies, I mean, any likelihood that any of this is really going to change? Well, you know, I, I, the scouts didn't indicate that they were going to change anything. But I, I will say that one thing that really stood out to me after the story came out was the, the types of emails I received. Um, I received, I would say, the overwhelming majority of the correspondence letters that I got were from scouts, parents of scouts, scout masters, former scouts, uh, who all were very concerned about what they're reading in the article. They either had noticed these things in their local chapters and felt uncomfortable about them, or they had heard stories, but they didn't really understand quite how big the scope of the problem was okay. um, in terms okay. of the widespread use. And so I, I, I do think that there is there are a lot of people involved in scouts who are asking themselves these questions. Okay. All right. And back to Robert Desjardins. So Robert, tell us more about this powwow you saw as a youngster. I mean, what was it about it that just really turned you off? The whole thing, uh, the way that the answers were dressed, uh, we probably had about uh, maybe eight or nine uh, dancers, and then they had a drum with, uh, I don't know, might, might have been about four or five dancers, and it was that night, there was a big bonfire, and, uh, and, and like I said, what I saw uh, really embarrassed me, because like I said, I grew up with powwows, and I was familiar with, you know, the songs on the drum and familiar with dancers, traditional dancers and grass dancers. And and that's what some of these kids were dressed up in. They, they were in grass dance outfits and traditional outfits. And the outfits themselves were, you know, the I mean, they were poorly made. The, the buses were made out of turkey feathers and... Um, um, Right. No, I don't know. It was just, it, it just, it really bothered me. And 
Did and like you? I said, I was really, I was really embarrassed by by what I saw, and and I just had to leave. I couldn't watch it any did any you voice longer. Your, and, did you voice your concerns with anybody about your your issues with what they well, were doing? Well, I was sitting with a group of friends, and you know, I just told them, I said, "No, powers aren't like this. You know, uh, a real power is a lot different than than what these guys are doing." Alrighty. Alrighty. Well, I do want to provide a note of disclosure for our show today. We did reach out to Boy Scouts of America for a response, for a comment on our show today, but they did not respond to us by the time we went to air today. And also, I know we've had other callers today, and unfortunately, we were not able to take all of our calls. So for those of you folks that we weren't able to get to, please, please stay with us and uh, try again for another show or feel free to continue the conversation on our social media pages. And as always, we really appreciate you folks listening to Native America Calling. And Robert, I, I want to ask you one more question, give you the last word before we wrap up. And uh, what is it that uh, you would like to say? If you could right now, if you had the, the, the head of the Boy Scouts organization right here, right now, what would you tell that person? I would recommend they bring in Native people to to educate, you know, more things about Native culture. Uh, that's the only way they're going to learn, and uh, you know, learn learn what what's appropriate and acceptable. Uh, but I think one of the problems with that is not too many Natives are going to want to be. Thank you, Robert. And, and you raise a really good point there. I, I mean, uh, it's kind of a, a catch-22. If, if we're not going to talk, uh, we're not going to talk about Boy Scouts about this kind of stuff, well, uh, they're going to take some liberties, unfortunately. So, at any rate, we have now reached the end of our hour. I want to thank all of our guests today, Graham Lee Brewer, Stuart Koyimtawa, Chief Brad Killscrow, and, of course, Robert Descharlet for what's been a really riveting discussion about the Boy Scouts of America and appropriation of Native American culture. Join us again tomorrow as we look at the niche Native magazines have for informing and entertaining readers. Thank you for listening. support by Penguin Random House, publisher of She Persisted, Wilma Mankiller, by Tracy Sorrell, a children's book about the first woman principal chief of the Cherokee Nation. More on this and other stories at prh.com slash stories of the land. Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org. Program support by Amerind. For 35 years, Indian country has put its trust in Amerind. 
providing insurance coverage, strengthening Native American communities, protecting tribal sovereignty, and keeping dollars in Indian country are Ameren's priorities. More information on property, liability, workers' compensation, and commercial auto needs at Ameren.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.